Did you know that some promises in the Word of God are conditional? That's right. Some have requirements that must be met first before the promise will be fulfilled. That's a conditional promise. It's an if-then proposition. There are promises in God's Word that, first of all, depend on commands being obeyed or steps being taken before you can expect to experience that promise and live out that promise. It's like the payoff of exercise. Uh, There is a payoff if you're faithful and consistent in exercise, but it's an if-then proposition. Uh, You don't get the benefits without doing the work, right? It's like the uh, payoff of work itself, uh, the fruit of our labor, whether we're parents or whether we're construction workers. If we will be diligent in our work, in our craft, God has promised certain blessings. If-then How about parenting? That's another illustration of this. If we parent well and faithful and consistently, depending on God and looking to his word and not the world, then we can experience the promises of God to us. Well, one such promise in the word of God is the promise of peace. The promise of peace. How would we define this peace? We might call it the absence of fear. It might be considered the absence of worry. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound intensely timely and relevant? The peace I speak of then would be an inner calm and composure. And there is a promise of this peace to the children of God. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to this uh, very familiar passage, but I hope you'll learn some things with me this morning that I learned in studying it this week. Our text this morning is Philippians 4. 4 to 7. The title of the sermon is The Path to Peace. If we were to have a subtitle, it would be How to Cope with COVID-19. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The path to peace. The idea of this text is Paul is writing from house arrest in the capital of Rome. And what he's doing here is he laid out for these Philippian Christians how they could experience the peace of God regardless of their circumstances. We need to understand the historical context of this great passage. Paul is under house arrest. That house arrest lasted about two years. When you read the book of Acts, it ends with Paul under this arrest. And from that place, he writes several letters. There were four, in fact, and Philippians was one of them, and it's known as a prison epistle. And so he writes while he is chained to a Roman soldier. Paul can't leave the house. Paul can't go to work. He can't go do tent making as he was apt to do. He can't travel around to synagogues and preach Christ as the as the Savior for the Jewish people. He can't go into the marketplace and 
proclaim that God the Creator has sent His Son to redeem people from their sins, He is under house arrest. He is in a place of suffering. His wings have been clipped. His routine has been changed. His lifestyle has been turned upside down. And it went on for not two weeks, not two months, but two years. He writes this letter to the Philippian church. These folks were his generous friends. They had supported him financially and prayerfully in his ministry. And they had sent gifts to him more than once so that he would not have to do tent making. So that he could devote himself full time to the work of the gospel. And so he writes this letter back to them really as a thank you note. An extended theologically based thank you for their generous gift. It has been said that Paul perhaps was closest to the Philippian church. They were near and dear to his heart. But the interesting thing is they are also suffering. He says back in chapter 1 that not only has it been granted to them to believe in Christ, but it has also been granted to them. They have been the recipients of the gift of suffering. And he says that in chapter 1. And so Paul is suffering and they are suffering. They're not under house arrest, but they're being persecuted. If they are converted Jews in the Philippian church, they are suffering at the hands of the Judaizers. Uh, They're suffering at the hands of their fellow countrymen, their fellow Jews. They would have been ostracized. They would have been kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, They would have been rejected uh, by their Jewish culture. That could have affected their finances, their job, their family gatherings, all kinds of implications if a Jew in that time uh, believed in Christ just as it's it is today. If they were converted Gentiles, which would certainly have been the majority of the church, they would be hated by their fellow Gentiles for renouncing the Roman pantheon of gods. You see, when, when a person became a Christian, they were renouncing all of the gods and goddesses of their, of their culture, of their cult, of their religion. And they were standing on one proclamation, Jesus is Lord. Jesus as Lord would become the confession of the early church. And so whether from Jews or whether from Gentiles, the recipients of these words that I've read were suffering recipients just as we are today in many ways. Our wings have been clipped. Our finances have been overturned. Our routines have been tossed aside. And many of us are in a sense under house arrest sheltering in place, not leaving our homes. If we are, it's very carefully and cautiously. And so there are so many similarities here. And so I think this is a very timely, relevant passage for us to consider this morning as we continue to take our break from the Gospel of Matthew. Today's simple and main point of this text for us is this. Philippians 4, 4 4-7 gives believers the path to peace in all circumstances. The goal of the sermon this morning is for me to show you from the Word of God how you can have the peace of God no matter what. How you can have the peace of God despite COVID-19 and any other threat, problem, trial, or difficulty that would come into your life. The question that this text answers, and this is what really opens it up to us. This is what really gives us the sense of what Paul is saying in 4-7. to is what steps must we take to experience the peace of God? What are those requirements and those prerequisites by which we must engage ourselves if we are to receive and experience this peace? What conditions must first be met? 
There are three. But before we look at the conditions, we're going to start this morning at the end of the text. Uh, We're going to begin at the end with the uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And that is verse 7. And so I draw your attention to verse 7. And you notice it begins with the word and. It is connected to all that has come before it in 4 to 7. This is a unit of thought. And the way you get to the real truth of this passage is to realize it has several commands. Not one of those commands can be the thrust of the passage. So what is the thrust of the passage? It's verse 7. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's the treasure house of the peace of God. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I might translate it this way. And the surpassing all understanding peace of God will protect your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. And so we begin with the thought here that this peace of God, it it is a surpassing peace. It goes beyond our brains. It is surreal, supernatural, and surpassing. As the NIV says, it transcends. This peace of God transcends our mental capacity to grasp it. It goes beyond our limited brains. It is both inexplicable and unexplainable. And those two words might mean the same thing. I'm not sure. (laughs) So this peace of God that goes beyond, and you've experienced it if you're a believer, when you should not have the peace of God, and you do, and you say, I cannot explain it. My life appears to be falling apart. I cannot explain it. But right now I'm experiencing an inner calm and composure that I didn't think would be possible in these circumstances. That's what Paul is describing here. Let me try to illustrate it for you. When I think about something that is surpassing all comprehension, my mind goes to the universe. It goes to the galaxy and the stars and the numbers and the distances, right? And so I Googled this. I Googled how many stars are in our galaxy, okay? Just our galaxy, the Milky Way. How many stars? This is hilarious. If you Google it, it says this. 250 billion plus or minus 150 billion, I mean, what, what a range of error, right? It's, it's either 100 billion or it's 400 billion in just our galaxy. Okay, if that's not enough, it would be like the distance across the Milky Way. 52,850 light years. Light years. Okay, light travels. 186,000 miles per what? Second. 186,000 miles per second. And our Milky Way, just our galaxy, is 52,850 light years in distance. Okay, if that's not surpassing enough for you, how about then the number of galaxies in the universe? Estimated to be 100 billion. 100 billion. So if you take our Milky Way as a representative example and say it has a... Uh, the number of stars in our, in our galaxy, then we might want to compute the stars in the universe, right? Assuming there are 100 billion per galaxy, that would be on the low end. The stars in the universe is 1 billion trillion. That is a 1 with 21 zeros after it. That's, that's surpassing comprehension, right? That's going beyond your brain to calculate. 
Here's one more. It would be like the distance across the ever-expanding universe. 47 light years. Did I say 47 light years? I meant to say 47 billion light years. The distance across the ever-expanding universe. 47 billion light years. Now I'm getting to something that is a bit uh, surpassing all comprehension. (laughs) Well, let's bring it home to Earth, planet Earth. This still surpasses comprehension. It would be like a 2.2 trillion dollar stimulus package. 2.2 trillion with a T. Like two weeks ago when they started talking about the stimulus package, the first number they threw out was 500 billion. It ended at 2.2 trillion, which is over half of the entire federal budget for a year. Astronomical numbers, beyond comprehension numbers. All I can say about a $2.2 trillion stimulus package is at least Bernie Sanders is happy. Now, you'll notice this surpassing all understanding piece is the piece of God. It doesn't say peace with God. Peace with God comes first, right? Peace with God is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5. Peace with God is when we trust Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, and we are reconciled to God, no longer His enemies, but become His children, no longer running from Him, but become His friends. And that conversion results in a person who was once at odds with God And in rebellion against God, that person becomes one who is at peace with God. That's not what Paul's talking about here, though. He's talking about the peace of God. This is something that only then the believer can experience. Peace with God comes first. Peace of God comes second. But I want you to see this. This might be the biggest takeaway of this passage for you this morning. He says that we can experience the very peace of God. It is God's own peace as God. All right. This is the peace that God Almighty, the sovereign, infinite, eternal God, experiences in his own being. He is the very source of this peace. And he lets us enter into it. We never become God, of course, but we can experience the peace of God. What an amazing statement this is. What an amazing pot of gold and treasure this is. This inexplicable, unexplainable peace is the very peace God has as being the sovereign on the throne of the universe. You think God is afraid of anything? You think God is worrying? Not on your life. God can't worry. God can't be afraid because he experiences his own peace as God, as the Almighty. And he says, here it is for you, believer. Here is what you can have if you will follow these steps. And we see here that this peace of God, it guards us. The word could be translated protect or keep. It's like a sentry on duty, standing guard over something that is treasured. And this very peace of God will guard your hearts. That's your central processing unit. Your heart is mission control of your life. It's your mind, emotion, and will. It's, it's who you are at the inner, at the inner core. It's your It's your personhood. It will guard you. It will guard your hearts and your minds. And I think minds here would be better translated thoughts. Because our mind, biblically speaking, is part of our heart. And so what I think Paul is referring to here is the thoughts that proceed from the heart, right? We know from Jesus that it's the heart that produces our thoughts. 
And, and so this peace of God will not only guard you in total, but it'll guard your thought life. It'll protect your thought life. It'll keep things from intruding into your thought life that shouldn't be there as a believer. What an amazing promise this is. Imagine living in a dangerous neighborhood and, and uh, you know, often fearing for your safety, break-ins, armed robberies, that kind of thing. And, and somebody provided for you a Navy SEAL team to protect your house and to protect you. And they stood guard 24-7 around your house. Right? How amazing would that be? They're going to prevent any unwanted intruder. In fact, they wouldn't even be able to approach, right? No one would test that. If you had a Navy SEAL team guarding your house, you'd sleep like a rock. You would not be stressed. You'd not be afraid. You would not be consumed with worry. Your heart, your house, your possession, your family, everything is guarded. Your mind would be at rest. You'd be able to go to sleep. You'd be able to stay asleep. You'd wake up in the morning and with a smile on your face, ready to go. That's the great promise here of verse 7. The peace of God, His very own peace that you cannot even comprehend any more than you can comprehend 47 billion light years. It will provide a century around your life and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. All right, that's the promise of peace. Now, what is the path to get there? What steps must we take? What commands must we obey? What conditions must we fulfill as believers if we're going to reach this place of inner calm and composure that God himself experiences? And it's an inner calm and composure no matter what. Number one, step number one is to rejoice in the Lord, verse 4. I want you to notice the first step wasn't seek peace. It wasn't strive after peace. It wasn't pray for peace. Step number one is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This idea of rejoice here is an unending joy, isn't it? Now, let's define rejoice by itself first, and then we'll talk about how it's unending. What, he, what he's calling us here to is to delight in the Lord. It is to have pleasure in the Lord, to be happy in the Lord, to rejoice or have joy in the Lord. It's an emotion. It's real. It comes from the depths of your protected heart. So he says rejoice in the Lord, and I would first say it's an unending joy just from the words themselves. Rejoice is a present imperative both times in this verse. It calls for continuous action, an unceasing action, an action that you don't just do once and then you're good. It's a regular, habitual, intentional, ongoing action in your life. Rejoice, he says. But if that wasn't enough to say it twice, Paul also says rejoice always. So just look at the text. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if that wasn't enough, again, I will say it, Paul says. Rejoice. Both present active imperatives. I would say the best way to do this is to make it daily, make it regular, make it scheduled, and be intentional about it. Also be spontaneous. And I think that's the combination here. So as you go through life, there'll be reasons to that, that will just spontaneously cause you to rejoice in the Lord, to praise the Lord. 
But there will also be times when you need to schedule it. You need to <clears throat> carve it out of, your, out of your life and be very intentional about it. I would say this, rejoicing in the Lord should be word-inspired. Word-inspired. It works like this. Read, rejoice, repeat. Read, rejoice, repeat. Everything you read in the Bible can be a cause to rejoice in the Lord. So let the Bible fuel your praise. Let it point you to reasons that, that God is worthy of this joy in Jesus. Another way to prompt this and promote this is to use music. Music is a gift from God designed to meet the, the, the condition of this very verse. God gives us the gift of music and musicians and writers and, and for, for this very reason that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Listen, if you're only singing on Sundays, something is wrong. And if you're not singing on Sundays, something is wrong. This is a ready-made path to obey the Word of God as music is primarily designed to stir our emotions in this direction. So we are to rejoice in the Lord. I would also say not only is it a, an unending joy inspired by the word and prompted by music, but it is a rejoicing with unshakable joy. Unshakable joy. Why do I say that? Because of the key of this verse. What is the key? It's not the word rejoice and it's not the word always. The key is in the Lord. This is the most important part of verse 4. And the most important part of this command, and this is why our rejoicing can be unshakable, because it is not in the news, it is not in government, it's not in doctors, it's not in science, it's in the Lord. Our rejoicing is not in a government bailout, it's not in the economy, it's not in our job, it's in the Lord. It's not in our house, it's not in our car, it's in the Lord. And it's not in getting, you know, I had to go there, the last pack of toilet paper. That is not what we are to rejoice in. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And if it's in the Lord, then it's unshakable because He never changes. He is the one constant in our life. He's the one guarantee in our life. He is the only thing that is certain in our life is the Lord Jesus. And so Paul can say rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice Remember, he does not write from a yacht in the middle of the Mediterranean. <laughs> he's, not on, he's not on a recliner sipping his favorite wine of Italy. <laughs> okay? He is under house arrest. He has no freedoms. He is chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And he writes these amazing words. I think our life is still easier than his was. So step number one, if we're going to experience the peace of God, is we are to rejoice in Jesus Christ. There is to be a constant rejoicing then in the unchanging, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign Christ, right? Let me help you with this. We need to exalt the crucified and risen Christ. We need to exalt the ascended and interceding Christ. Delight in the friend of sinners. Isn't that an amazing statement? He is the friend of sinners. We can delight in him. Praise the great physician. Be in awe of the Alpha and Omega. Love the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. 
We are called here to find a real pleasure in the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, in the hypostatic union of fully God, fully man, in one person and will be so forever. Find real pleasure in the one who reconciled you to a holy God. Find real pleasure in the one who loves us and gave himself up for us. We are to rejoice in the Savior who freed us from the penalty of sin. Let's just think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, our faith in him, freed us from the penalty of our sin. The just deserts of God's wrath for our sin. We are righteous in God's eyes, and we have been forgiven of every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. We are to rejoice in that Savior, in that champion. We are to rejoice in the one who is freeing us right now from sin's power and who will free us from sin's presence. He is a great Savior over every aspect of sin, every condition of sin, every time element of sin, penalty, power, and presence. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. We are to glory in the one, as we've already heard this morning, who solved a problem infinitely worse than COVID-19. We are to rejoice and glory in Him, boast in Him, brag in Him, praise Him. It was His cross that laid the groundwork to remove all disease and all death from all of the elect for all time and eternity. And in time we will experience all of those blessings and victories. I want to call you this morning to delight in the one who delights in you. To love the one who loves you. To get excited about meeting him in the air. Listen, the rapture is not going to be canceled. Everything else can be canceled. This event is not going to be canceled. Let's get excited about meeting him in the air. There will not be a disappointment on that front, beloved. So step number one is rejoice constantly in Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, without ceasing to rejoice in the Lord always, we add step number two. So these are cumulative. You don't finish one and go on to the next. You just accumulate them in your life. And we come to step number two, and once again, we're surprised because Paul doesn't say pursue peace. He doesn't say Strive after peace. Step number two, he says, be gentle toward others. Be gentle toward others. Verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. This is where heavenly mindedness meets earthly good. So we were, we're caught up into the heavens in verse 4. We're rejoicing in the Lord and not the things of this earth in verse 4. And then Paul brings it right to the horizontal, right to Monday to Friday. How you treat your wife, how you treat your kids, how you treat your, the stranger in the store. Let your gentle spirit be known to who? All men, all people. Believer, unbeliever alike. This is the second step toward peace, toward experiencing the peace of God. Now, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He has come to indwell us, and that's a permanent indwelling and empowering for the Christian life. And we learn in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Gentleness. 
It's way down the list. We often don't think about it. We think of love, joy, peace, you know. Down toward the bottom, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And so here we are called as believers to put this on display, to make it known, make it manifest to others. Step two, to experience the peace of God all the time then is to, this is interesting. How do I experience the peace of God all the time? By practicing kindness toward people all the time. See, we can never separate our vertical Christian life from our horizontal life. God will not allow it. He absolutely will not allow it. You cannot be the cloistered Christian living some fantasy, super spiritual life that isn't interacting with other people and showing them love and gentleness. You're kidding yourself, but God's word won't allow it. Let me give you a few other translations of this verse. Let, let your courteous spirit be revealed. Let your considerate nature be known. Let the whole world see your yieldedness. That's a great word here for gentle. Yieldedness. All right. So you turn the corner into the paper aisle. And there is one package of toilet paper left. Two feet away is your opponent. Can you overpower her? Can you knock her buggy into the middle of next week? Grab the last roll of toilet paper and make a dash for the front of the store. Now, before you decide, here's a little reminder. The Lord is near. The Lord's return is imminent. While you're knocking granny down to get the last pack of toilet paper, Jesus might return. That would be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. The Lord's at the door. The return of Christ is imminent. The rapture can happen at any moment. Okay, how about something a little closer to home? Because I don't think anyone in our church, Lord willing, no one in our church is knocking down somebody for the last pack of toilet paper. But how about something closer to home? Before you return cutting comment for cutting comment, the Lord is near. Oh, we know you can be sarcastic, but can you be gentle? Can you make that known? Now, the connection here with the experience of peace is obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. If we live life irritated, frustrated, angry with other people all the time, we are not on the path to peace. If we're striving and fighting and arguing and and all of that kind of stuff is always boiling within us, We're not on the path to peace. We have detoured into the weeds of war. And listen, war always brings misery. War always brings discomfort. This is so crystal clear why this should be on the list and one of the conditions for peace. Because God is not going to let me enjoy His peace if I am raging and ranting and and fighting constantly against my fellow man. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to walk in love. We are even to love our enemies. We are to let our yieldedness be known to everyone as believers. When we yield to others, when we walk in meekness and humility and gentleness, it actually diffuses the war, doesn't it? It diffuses the conflict. 
It lowers the tension. It brings down the argument. And it keeps you, believer, on the path to experience God's amazing peace. Ask yourself, who needs to experience your gentleness this week? Who in your life needs to see your courteous, kind consideration? Who needs to hear words of kindness come from your mouth? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, while we're rejoicing in the Lord and being gentle toward everyone else, we add step number three, the final step to experience the peace of God. It's verse six. Turn every worry into prayer. Turn every worry into prayer. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. My first observation to show you is our general spirit was to be known to all men. Same word, let our requests be made known to God. Put them on display. Make them evident. But here are two commands now in verse 6, a negative and a positive. Uh, be anxious for nothing on the one hand and a pray about everything on the other hand. Make, let your requests be made known to God. They're both imperatives here. They're both calling for a distinct and urgent action. And this is so critical now on this path to peace. I would say these two commands actually go together because you can't do one without the other. You won't pray the way uh, Paul calls us to pray here if you're worried and if you're worrying, and they just go together. They, 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 they are wedded. They are married together, these two commands. Really, it's two sides of the same thing. It's, it's putting off and putting on. It's, it's saying no to worry and anxiety and stress. I say no, I refuse, I repent, because I remember that worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. Proper concern is not a sin, but worry and fretting and anxiety is. And I say no to that and I repent of that. But I must replace it with something else. And I replace it with prayer. I say no to worry and I say yes to God. I say yes to prayer. And here's what I think is happening in this path to peace is we turn the energy that it takes to worry into prayer. See, worry, is, it'll sap you dry. Worry will wipe you out. The anxiety takes a lot of energy. And so Paul is saying, don't do that. Take that energy instead, that focus instead, and turn it into prayer to God. Aim it in the direction of God. And he uses two words here, prayer and supplication, or prayer and petition. Prayer is the general word that just covers the whole attitude of, of going before God. And then petition are those specific requests. And so I take this energy that wants to lead me down a path of worry and darkness and I, and I go into God's presence and I vent and I lament and I complain and I praise and I, and I petition. And I do all of that in His presence, in His presence. Let the pressure push you to prayer. That's what it's designed to do. That's what this is designed to do for the believer, right? COVID-19 is for us. It's a gift from God for us. It's a pressure for us to push us into prayer like never before. Uh, let the difficulty drive you to your knees. That's what this difficulty in your life is about. And it may not be COVID-19 for you. It may be some other difficulty that, that makes this virus look small in comparison. Let it drive you to your knees, Listen, if it doesn't drive you to your knees as a Christian, God may just crank up the pressure. 
Because he's going to get our attention. As I asked last week, does he have our attention yet? Think of it this way. Let the anxiety and the temptation to anxiety be a jackhammer on my hard heart. To begin to break it up and to break up that pride and self-sufficiency and independence from God. Breaking it up until I bow down before God, until I break, until I surrender, until I say I can't take any more. And I start really praying. And I start making specific requests known to God. Petitioning Him, tugging on His garment, pleading with Him desperately, faithfully. And of course we do all of this with an attitude of gratitude. As we pray and petition, we remember previous answers to our prayers, right? We remember that Jesus died for our sins and we're thankful for that. We remember that he's going to return and that return is imminent. And, and we remember that there's a lot that's still good in my life. So even as I'm petitioning God for the real needs and concerns of my heart, I do so with gratitude, looking around at the common grace and the blessings that still surround me. You know, I'm kind of bummed out. Can't go to the crock. Can't get on my favorite two machines to do aerobic exercise. And so I get to walk around our beautiful neighborhood (laughs) and see spring everywhere and hear birds and, and enjoy God's creation. Not a bad exchange. So what's happening here in verse 16 is basically this. Turn that frown upside down, right? (laughs) Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The great encouragement this morning from the word of God is that we are not passive victims of a panic. I just, it just, everything in me rages when I see a Christian who is passively victimized by something of this world. Don't be unraveled as an over-responder, okay? There's two ways you can go here. You can become an over-responder and you can unravel. And you can hide in a cave and and think that you can't even be within 50 feet of another human being and, and get under the covers and and tremble for fear, and that's an overreaction, and that's just not what God wants us to do. That's a passive victim to the panic. Nor should we be kind of the unmoved, cavalier, under-responder. That's foolish. You know, I just saw an illustration this past week, this young 21-year-old girl in Tennessee who did a social media mocking of coronavirus and said, oh, I'll never get it. I'm not worried about social distancing. And, And lo and behold, three or four days later, tested positive. Tested positive, and she then comments, This is the worst illness I've ever had. It feels like someone is sitting on my chest. I can hardly breathe. So we got over responders and we got under responders, and neither are where we want to be. We want to take the real concerns about COVID 19 and we want to turn them into pointed petitions at the throne of grace. Particular, specific, and pointed. So if you will rejoice in Jesus and do so regularly and constantly in your life, if you will be gentle and kind to others, not worrying with humanity, and if you will turn every worry into prayer, then God's very own peace will be like a sentry around your heart and around your mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's bow in prayer as the uh, 
musicians come to join me up here, pray with me. Father in heaven, what an awesome passage this is. Thank you for the inspiration, authority, sufficiency, and profit of the word of God. Lord, thank you that this scripture has taught us how to find your very own peace, how to enter into it and experience it. And you've laid it before us as believers. Step one, step two, step three, pot of gold. Lord, help us to practice these things this week. Help us to be doers of the word. And Lord, if there's anybody out there watching right now, anybody out there listening who they can't even think about right now the peace of God because they don't have peace with God. May they even now, as we sing the gospel in this great song in Christ alone, may these lyrics, may these words penetrate their heart to show them what Jesus has done for them, to show them how they can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God, and then experience the peace of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.